lessons learned from the supply chain crisis. Matt, let me ask you a question. And I'm just curious in your business, did you find yourself looking at products that were available when you couldn't get them? And then did those did that tr help transfer your loyalty or you were trying to maintain loyalty to your long-term vendor partners? Why would you set me up with a question like this where you know I'm going to soapbox <laughs> and whine excessively? <laughs> I brought you on as a friend. What are you doing? Do you realize what you've done? On this episode of Resi Week, we talk lessons learned from the supply chain issue and Cords demystifies HDMI. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. This is Resi Week, episode 409, Descoping. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matthew Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by uh, two of my good friends. First, we have Mr. Jason Knott. He is a evangelist over at DTools. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And next we have the, I'm still going to call you the birthday girl, even though it was your birthday a couple of days ago, Katie McGregor-Bennett. She's the president of KMB Communications. How are you doing, Katie? I'm doing great. I guess it's still my birthday, apparently. Well, it's not still your birthday, but- like, Oh, oh, see, I misunderstood. It's close enough. This, this is my present to you having you on it's such a gift <laughs> such a gift right hand on heart thank you i'm going to kick this off with a story that comes to us from a residential systems and a good friend of the show anthony uh, savona lessons learned from the supply chain crisis uh tony went and interviewed uh some some people from crestron as well as some of their dealers and uh including mr hincy uh from crestron talking about the lessons that they've learned uh, coming out of the supply chain crisis, specifically how it affected Crestron and and what they learned coming out of that, as well as uh, a couple of their dealers and the same question, how it, you know, what they learned from it um, and, and how that changed kind of their business approach. It's a really good article. They cover a lot of things, um, specifically the way in which Crestron in this example was really good at trying to communicate with their dealers what was going on and what the situation uh, looked like for for them in, in supplying product, et cetera. Jason, what coming out of coming out of COVID, coming out of supply chain, you know, almost everything is kind of back to normal now, um, with a few outliers where where some things are still backward a little bit. What lessons were the key lessons that our industry had an opportunity to learn? Uh, coming out of this. I agree. This is a great article. Um, there's a lot of really good takeaways in this. Um, and it was fascinating to read specifically from the dealer perspective, how the supply chain crisis affected their bottom lines because it forced them in the article, they talked to several integrators who had to start carrying inventory and they were always mm -hmm. just in time buyers before. And and I think one of the guys said that his his, his uh, accounting sheet was ugly, quote unquote, because of having to carry in inventory. And this is, I think, still, even though we're back to normal, I think we're still seeing the after effects of this. If everybody saw the quarterly report from Snap One, where they used the term, which I had never heard before, de-scoping. If everybody heard that or that and that they believe that what's happening is that 
integrators are still filtering through their inventories that they had garnered and built up upon during the COVID situation, which is one of the reasons that they put out there as to why um, their sales were down. Um, I thought it was also interesting, a couple of good takeaways from the integrators who said that they focused on mission critical, making sure they had mission critical devices. So they weren't out buying TVs and inventorying those, but they were doing routers and network switches and Wi-Fi access points and racks and cabling and wire, things that, that was that was necessary to have as their inventory. And then if I could just throw out kind of the obligatory um, self-promotion, you know, what I'm doing at Dtools now with the data management, the data analysis is really kind of part and parcel of what we're talking about here because the manufacturers need to forecast accurately. And as, you know, part of what I'm pulling together is the ability to analyze uh, subcategories as well as core categories on behalf of manufacturers as they can see forecast um, of, of what get really strong forecasts of what is out there in proposals well ahead of what's been sold. Because as you know, many times dealer will get a sold contract, but he's not going to buy the product for another two or three months, possibly, or even longer. Um, and the, the manufacturer doesn't know that it's coming until they get the order. So this is giving them well in advance um, um, information on this. Um, I'll throw in one other thing is I'll put an emphasis on dealers looking at getting um, some sort of software inventory management uh, tracking solution. Dtools right now integrates with Tracknicity and Trixio. Um, so there's others out there, um, I'm sure, that, that are quality, but um, dealers should be looking at, at managing their inventory accurately. Yeah, that's a really good response. Katie, if integrators have taken the time to, again, kind of look back and learn some lessons, how do they then go ahead and implement those and apply those to their business now that, you know, again, we, we went through all of that where it was incredibly stressful. And to be honest, we're kind of back into a stressful time a little bit again. How do you go about applying some of these principles, kind of like what Jason was talking about in discovering that, yeah, you do need inventory management. Even if it's not a lot of inventory, you do kind of need to know how to manage that properly. How do we apply these? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when you when you frame it that way. Um, little known fact, I started in this industry as a buyer. So inventory management was how I got to know what was going on in the industry, where growth was occurring, where growth was not occurring, where margins were up, where margins were down. Uh, and at a, at a microscopic level compared to the type of data that we have available to us now, but I'm sort of naturally wired to look at things that way, even though I play with words for a living, not numbers. So, you know, maintaining and managing inventory is a fascinating exercise. And I guess what I'm trying to say is it mm -hmm. doesn't require a lot of, of skill. It just requires getting in, rolling up sleeves and really looking at what the numbers are telling you. And, and then also looking at how is your business then also playing out. And, and when we look at inventory management, we need to not only be looking at the business that we have today and not relying on distribution. I'm going to stop there and say and apologize. I don't mean I'm not to say anti-distribution, but when we rely on distribution as a source, our key source of our, of our inventory acquisition, you're relying on what's available there that day, not 
what's right for the project that you have specified already that you've won the business on and that you are on now, you're on tap to deliver beyond expectation. I don't mm -hmm. think that relying on a distribution model in that case is going to be your best way forward. Is it an option and an alternative? Yes, absolutely. But in many cases, it's not going to provide you the bailout opportunity that you may very well need if business constricts beyond beyond current capabilities. Now, again, I'm not saying anti-distribution and many aren't capable of, of or aren't able to buy direct. So I do want to be sensitive to those business needs. But to Jason's point, when manufacturers don't have direct insight into what they need to have available for integrators to purchase, they can't properly forecast, which means nobody's going to have the inventory. If you're waiting for distribution to have your inventory, you're probably towards the end of the food chain, the end of the line there, and you may not be able to, again, complete the project to that spec. To me, that gets very, very dangerous when you're looking at custom install and the niche that we fill, we've got to protect that spec. You're going to hear me talking a lot more about that, but it comes to how you're looking at your inventory. Is it right? Can you afford to carry what you need to carry in order to provide that that parachute and to be able to, to go after opportunities that drop into your lap because somebody else can't? Long-winded way of getting there, but I think you know, the supply chain crisis is what we learned. Now what we need to do is is prepare our businesses for those types of certainties and know where we need to go to make sure that the business that we have secured and that we're, that we're proposing, we can actually fulfill. And part of that is inventory management and it's also making sure you've got the right partnerships in place. And much of this article talks about what a great partner Crestron was to the integrators by being so transparent and sort of being putting themselves out there, but being part of the solution as well mm -hmm. um, as understanding that, they, you know, participating in the problem, but being part of the solution and everybody were in it together. And I think there's there's a lot of takeaways. Again, if you guys are listening in, if you haven't read this article, really, really, really do because it's it it sets yeah. forward a way of thinking that I think is much more effective for us industry wide. Matt, let me ask you a question. So there was one other point in the article that I thought was interesting, and they had interviewed a couple a couple of the dealers who said that they did not quote unquote product hop during the mm -hmm. during the time frame when they were waiting for product and it was not they were not able to get it. I wonder what the lingering effects of the um, supply chain crisis did to long-term product loyalty from um, dealers with certain vendors. And I'm just curious in your business, did you find yourself looking at products that were available when you couldn't get them? And then did, those, did that tr help transfer your loyalty or you were trying to maintain loyalty to your long-term vendor partners? Why would you set me up with a question like this where you know I'm going to soapbox <laughs> and whine excessively? <laughs> I brought you on as a friend. What are you doing to me? In our company, we are loyal to a fault with vendors. That being said, the underbelly of the industry where the dealer for most of the manufacturers is one of the lower tiers, especially the residential dealer is the lower tier and, and recognize that my company works in both residential and commercial. So sometimes we see both sides of that. Um, that got exposed fairly dramatically throughout all of this to where a lot of the relationships that a lot of dealers had, myself included, where we thought we were on a very good partnership, a very good footing with a lot of manufacturers, 
um, and even distributors was shown to be one-sided. And I think that for, for my company specifically, we always tried to stay loyal, but at the same time, we had situations where we needed projects to finish jobs. And if manufacturer A did not have it, but B did, and it was similar and we could, you know, it, it fell under our clauses in our, in our proposals of, you know, product A, B, C or similar. If we could bring something in to pencil it in, we did it because at the end of the day, and this is something that I would love manufacturers to understand. Um, none of y'all pay my bills. You don't help me pay my bills most of the time. So my, I, we are incredibly loyal, but at the end of the day, I, I question the loyalty street because it's mostly one way. Um, now that being said, we also had, I, I, I can think of a couple examples where we use a specific brand of microphone. It is the only thing we spec. Like 99.5% of every project we do that has microphones on it will have one brand of mic. We did look multiple times for a couple of our projects to see if we could slots another brand in because of back orders. But typically it was a situation where, you know, the one we wanted was eight months out. The replacement option was seven months out. So at that point, who cares? We'll wait the month to get it in and make it happen. Um, there is, it, it can be very hard to be loyal when you realize that the manufacturer doesn't really care about your loyalty because they'll just pick up another dealer. And you don't see that as much with the smaller um, boutique manufacturers, but especially with the big ones, especially the ones that are publicly traded um, or have the huge names and the huge booths, not specific, you know, we're, we're not Crestron dealers. So I, it has nothing to do with this article uh, in that vein. Um, but it was, if you look back, it was very telling. And now I'm off my soapbox. And we've lost all of our sponsors. So thank you, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting to see, I think, going forth, if this changed the regular, uh, you know, modus operandi, so to speak, of dealers mm -hmm. of like, gee, I'm going to, I had to look for alternatives during the, the supply chain crisis. Now I'm going to be more open to looking for alternatives versus yeah. being as loyal as I was. And at the same time, you know, to Katie's point of, you know, Crestron kind of laying themselves, opening the kimono here and talking that maybe that was refreshing to the point where dealers are like, look, I, I'm glad oh, that yeah. there was somebody who was out there being really honest with me. And, and I'm going to stick with those guys, even though I was having trouble getting product from them. We had, and I think that was part of where some of my diatribe came from, is we had manufacturers that were blatantly lying to us about product availability blatantly and because and and i've always been in a bit of a interesting situation because i have my local rep or my distributor whoever i work with locally and again i'm in canada so my situation is a little bit different than most um 
So I might have a local rep who tells me one thing, but I also might be friends with somebody who either works at said company or is a district manager for said company or, or whatever, um, or as a VP for said company. Right. And I've been able to take what I'm hearing from my rep or from my local person and then be like, man, that sounds real, like I'm shocked. It's that bad. And I can put in a call to somebody and go, is it this bad? And be told, no, it's not that bad or worse. Um, it's significantly worse. You're going to be waiting significantly longer. We won't have those for however long. And, you know, again, I, I recognize that because of the platform that I've had for the last couple of years, I'm in a different situation than a lot of dealers because I have access to information that they may not. But those are the things that really make you question those business decisions. And are you loyal because you're loyal? I, it, is it a one-way relationship? Right? And I think a lot of dealers were opening up to that. This either reaffirmed your trust in the company or it made you very skeptical and and of of your vendor partner if you know it was one way or the other i think this is going to be a lo the longer lasting effect of this situation yeah it's very it had an opportunity to be very divisive um like everything else these days just from a communications perspective which is my my, my current expertise I think the, the, it's not what you do, it's how you do what you do that makes all the difference in the world. And so, you know, I think that the, the takeaway from a comms perspective for everybody to, to learn from here is the clarity and communication and consistency of communication really, really, really becomes key. And especially in uh, times of, of dire, <laughs> dire stress, such as what we just went through and what we may very well be facing again, that, that clarity and consistency of communications and whether you do that internally or externally really makes all the difference trying to hide from the situation or being air quotes so busy that you're too busy to be to be clear bad 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 plan and i think just from an industry perspective it also puts all of us at, at great risk um because as an industry we sort of get lumped into that you know we don't call back we don't communicate we don't we're too confusing in those times of dire stress we can rise above that and create a much more positive outcome for all involved and i think that you know i just wanted to kind of throw that in that clarity and consistency of communications is really key in everything we do yeah that's a great point all right let's change topics for a second this comes to us from residential tech today cords further demystifies hdmi cables uh the second in a series of cords articles on hdmi explores the progression of HDMI and explains the significance behind the name of each iterations. Um, yeah, go, go take a look at this. Cords has done a fantastic job um, on explaining all the tech in all of their cables and uh, kind of a holistic view of that technology and, and how you need to utilize it to design your systems properly. Katie, let me, I'm going to ask what seems like a silly question. Um, how is HDMI still confusing to the majority of integrators? <laughs> so I'm not the technical one in the room. Uh, so you're not getting that answer from me. But, but, you know, I think it comes down to subversioning. And at one point in the game, did, did you as a technician or you as a professional in our industry come into the HDMI game? Was it before it actually was a thing to be? Was it during the early formative years when it was a four-letter word? 
some may say it still is. <laughs> you're not old. Okay, you're old. Um, it, but, you know, over time and evolution of, you know, which version, which version is right for the project. You know, I think there's just, there's so many different layers and levels of, <laughs> of technology, not just with HTMI, but specifically with, and I think that that's kind of the, the thing is while it's been around for some time, broadly speaking, there still is a great amount of, of confusion about which one to spec, which is right, which is the right, you know, like just all of the things. And, and we continue to hear about installations that don't go off as planned. And what is, what's, what's the cause of that? And how do we, how do we dramatically reduce the chasing of ghosts and the rolling of trucks and the time wasted trying to identify where problems exist? I think what Cords is really trying to accomplish here is taking it back to the basics to say, if you want a better outcome, start from the foundation and build your way up and cable the quality of the cable the type of cable and the specification of the cable really has to be better scrutinized in order to ensure that you don't have to come back to the cable to ensure that that isn't part of the problem when the problem does arise and making sure that as integrators are growing up in the industry or coming into it from the outside do you have what you need to know in order to spec the right thing from the start and again you know it's kind of that it, by helping the industry it, it, one step at a time we're really helping ensure that <laughs> that we're going to be we're going to be around and that our differentiated offering really is is recognized as being a value add i think that's what cords cords is really trying to to accomplish here why is hdmi so confusing still that now going back to the technical side that's on you brother <laughs> I, I i i i you know <laughs> that's that's on you <laughs> oh, if only there was a governing body <laughs> control these things. If only, if only. Oh, what a wonderful world it would be. Jason, um, Are you gonna sing? no, no, I'm not, not today. The, uh, how often are we over specking systems versus under specking systems when it comes to things like HDMI capabilities or for example, network capabilities? It, is it a problem of not understanding the specifications and the requirements, or is it a problem of um, systems being, I don't want to say overly complicated, but some things not living up to the name that's printed on the label of the box that they come in? Yeah, I, mean, I think it all come comes down to proper application and proper compatibility. and. Um, you're right. I'm sure that there are many cases where they're overspecking, and I'm sure there are many cases where they they realize that the cable, the HDMI cable, was the weak link in the design, and the whole system uh, didn't work because they put in an, the um, a, um, you know a cable that wasn't able to handle 4K at 60 hertz or whatever it might have been. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll I still go back to when at CE Pro we did when HDMI licensing group was first launching and they were first launching the first specification to, it was the largest webinar audience we ever got, which was almost 3000 people um, to about what is this, you know, what is this cable and what is it going to mean for my installation? So your question to Katie as to why we're, there's still so many questions out there from the very beginning, there's been questions. Yeah. You know, it was that was 10 times the audience we normally get on a we would get. And just because everybody didn't know what to do. And I think, again, HDMI licensing group, you know, that it's a good step in the right direction that they launched these um, verification uh, um, 
labels that they put out there for you know premium high speed and ultra high speed. Hopefully dealers are looking at that and realizing you know what the speed rating is on these cables and and picking the right applications. But whether they're I can't tell you a percentage as to whether you know what how how often it's being overspecked or underspecked, but it's a good question. All right, let's wrap it up there. Thank you both so much for joining us. Jason, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Dtools, where can they do that? They can um, go to Dtools, uh, d-tools.com website, and they can email me at uh, jasonk at d-tools.com, and they can follow me on Twitter at Jason W. Knott. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Katie, if people want to connect with you, wish you happy birthday, a belated happy birthday. Uh, learn more about KMB Communications. Where can they do that? Oh, that's awesome. Uh, KMBcom.com, <laughs> KMBcomm.com. For all things business related, uh, you can find me personally on the sphere at Katie McGregor Bennett's K-A-T-Y-E. That's how you know you found me, the right one. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, uh, you can find me on Twitter or X at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.